Hi friends, I'm Thomas Nunnery and this is my podcast, Layer on Layer. I believe that understanding the Bible and living out its truths will create a masterpiece of our lives. Each exposure to the Bible paints a little more on the canvas of our hearts. And so in this podcast, you'll find sermons and lessons that I've recorded as I've preached and taught in my church, each one a particular layer or a unique color that I hope will help shape your beautiful life one layer at a time. Well, today we're going to look at Psalm 23, and I hope that this is a help to you. I know Psalm 23 is a familiar passage of scripture for many people, but I got to preach this message in March of 2023 at Harvest Baptist Church and really felt like it was what Jesus had for us for that day. And honestly, um, I think that it's just one of those things where sometimes it's important for us to be reminded about truths that we already know. It's helpful for us to just have that extra reinforcement or extra reminder there. And so as we consider a Psalm that is so familiar and the goal would be that we can come to a place where we could remember and trust a God who is like what is described in Psalm 23, a God who provides and protects and pursues after us in this kind of way. And that's a God you can trust. And that's a God who you you can be faithful to. I hope this can be another layer, another reinforcement, another color on the palette of your heart. Here we go. Excellent. Appreciate that very much. The book of Psalms, if you will, tonight, Psalm 23, read Psalm number 23 tonight. Hope this will be a blessing to you. Probably not new for anybody in the room would be my guess. But as we've said before, sometimes what is most needful is a moment where we can remember those things which are foundational for us, those things which we... um, are so ingrained, maybe the things that we are so used to hearing or so used to remembering. Sometimes it's good for us to just take a moment and remember it on purpose. And so let's read this Psalm. I'll read it. You follow along. Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we love you. We're grateful to be able to look at this psalm tonight, and I know, I've already said it, that it's familiar. We may, probably, my guess is that many in the room could even quote it and could say it from memory. And Lord, uh, even with that, we're grateful that we can be reminded of truth that is essential to our everyday living. Probably no surprises tonight in the preaching and teaching time. And yet, Father, we're asking for you to do your work in the hearts and lives of your people 
here tonight anyway. Lord, thank you for all that you do. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that you love us. Help us as we look at this passage tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 23 is one of those psalms which, which we clearly know is written by David. It says so right there in the superscription, right? The, uh, the, those words above your psalm there. And so it says that right there. And we, so we know clearly the psalm is written by David. We don't have a clear understanding of a moment in time when he wrote the psalm. And so different authors or different people will suggest different times. There will be those that said that this might be a psalm from that time, even before David was king, and maybe before that moment in time where he was anointed king. Um, and so there would be those that would say that, and there would be some reasons why they might think that. The clear imagery of the shepherd and the sheep, and how, that, that, how fresh that must have been for David in that period of time, as he was the shepherd to a bunch of sheep. And so there are those that think for that reason, that was this period of time. There are others that would say, well, no, probably he needed to be older than that, especially to really understand the kind of, uh, the, the kind of depth that is there at the end of the chapter. He, he probably needs to be older than that. So maybe it's more along the lines of when, when Absalom has kicked him out of Jerusalem and he's facing that adversity and that difficulty. And even in that moment, he's saying, no, this is hard and this is difficult. And there are enemies all around me. But even, even then, I can trust the, God, the same God who has been my shepherd up to this point is going to be my shepherd in this moment as well. And there's some good reasons why, you might, why we might think that that would be a time frame or a time where David would write a psalm like this. My personal opinion, and it is by no means the only one, like I've said, there's other options. I think this psalm makes the most sense towards the end of David's life. And at the end of his reign, time, the, the, the periods of battle have been over Right, David has ushered in, the, the nation of Israel has been ushered into a time of peace. Solomon is getting ready to take the throne. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that's, that has to be the way it is. I just think that that's what makes the most sense for this passage and for what's here. And here's David looking back over his life with this testimony. The Lord is my shepherd. It's meaningful when you can look back and say that everywhere I've gone, every step I've taken... He's been right there. The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. My friend, I think it's important for us just to take a moment tonight to remember that God, the God who is, the God who has created heaven and earth, the God who is Lord and ruler of all things, he is not just a God who is aloof. I'm sorry, he's not a God who is aloof. He is not just the God who creates all things, but he is also a God who wants an intimate and personal relationship with you. This has been, this has been a, a, um, a unique thing about the Israelites is that while many people claimed to know many religions, many nations around them would have claimed that they had a God for their people, Right, so this, this nation could say, we have a God and he is whatever, or we have a goddess and her name is whatever. And many would say those things. There are very, very few that could say this, the one who is my nation's God, the one who has made a covenant with my people is also personally mine. 
It'd just be worth pointing out, and as you read through this psalm, just note the number of personal pronouns that are throughout there. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? I understand there's the benefit, and there, there's, a, there's a necessity sometimes to remember that, that God isn't just a God that is limited to you, <laughs> but there is that he is the God of a people. He's a God of this church. He's certainly bigger than just you, but it is vital that we understand that he wants a personal relationship with the one who is sitting in your seat tonight. He's your shepherd. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Immediately, the one, the king of Israel, begins to paint this picture about a person who is taking care of sheep. Obviously, you and I both remember that David would have been um, intimately acquainted with the duties of a shepherd. That's what he did. That was where he came from. It was the background that he came from. And so to David, this would have probably brought back some good memories at some times where he could have thought, thought fondly over it. Although, if we're being honest, probably sometimes it were terrifying for him as well. Right? Remember the time he had to take out a bear because there, that bear was coming after his sheep. No, the point, my friend, is, is that David would have had something to remember. The comparison he's making, the imagery that he's trying to invoke in our hearts and in our mind, it's good for us just to take a moment and to digest it a little bit. The Lord is my shepherd. And because God, because Yahweh is our shepherd, we lack nothing. I shall not want now, careful that we don't try to take that in a way that the author didn't intend, not saying that, that since the Lord is my shepherd, he's going to give you everything you want. That's not what that says, right? I shall not want doesn't mean you get all of your wishes. God is not a genie, right? He's a shepherd, not a genie. It's an important distinction in this passage, right? No, I shall not want means that I will lack for nothing. Will lack for nothing. In fact, he goes on to say, that very thing. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. And I just want to take for a few minutes tonight, I want to talk to you about the way that the shepherd makes sure that you lack for nothing. First thought here is that the shepherd, because the Lord, because Yahweh is our shepherd, because Yahweh is my shepherd, he provides. He provides. Look with me, verse 2. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. The idea there about the green pastures, it is a lush, the, 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 the word there, though it's a it's a place that can be that can be eaten from, it's a place that can be rested in, it's the place of safety and provision. The the shepherd provides what the sheep needs. Not only that, there's some interesting um, discussion that could go on about when sheep lay down. Sheep don't lay down when there's danger around, and the fact that the shepherd can bring them to a place where they are made to lay means that there's safety there. Safety there. Protection and provision are wrapped up there. But Yahweh provides. But not only does Yahweh provide, my friend, Yahweh guides. He guides. Look at the rest of verse 2. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He guides. The, 
This passage, what you'll see is David is looking back in his mind's eye and begins to make a comparison between God and a shepherd. He's also doing some work here to point out to the people of Israel how God has been this way for a long time. See, David is using some of the very same words that are very commonly used in the Exodus story. See, the Exodus story, when, right, remember God brings his people out of the land of Egypt and he brings them out to the Red Sea and they're supposed to go across this Red Sea and yet the Pharaoh's army is behind them and they come out to this Red Sea and they look around and say, hey, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere else to, for us to look, go. We're, we're trapped. There's a sea in front of us and an army behind us. What are we supposed to do? And remember Moses stands still and see the salvation of the Lord, Right? And across the Red Sea, they march. <laughs> well, across the seabed, <laughs> anyway. And as they go through, they get to the other side. And they begin to sing there on that other side. Here's a verse from that. Exodus chapter 15 and verse number 13. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. It's led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Uh, leadeth me beside still waters just like you did back there. Say, well, I don't know if the waters were very still back there. Oh, they were very still after they came back down. <laughs> they were plenty still. No, the idea is a place that can be rest, still waters, waters of rest, waters of rest. A place that's calm, a place where there's peace. But hold on, not only, not only does God provide, not only does Yahweh lead and guide, but my friend, my friend, he also restores. He also restores. Like the lamb who goes astray and the shepherd must go out and get them and bring them back. Isaiah 49 says this, Isaiah 49 verse 5, and now hath the, saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. To bring Jacob back again. Restoration. Restoration. The psalmist says, hold on. This was the goal. This was what God does. As the shepherd, he provides for us. He gives us what we need. He, we're not going to need anything else. We're not lacking anything because he provides for us. But not only does he provide for us, he guides us every step of the way, brings us to the place of safety, this place of peace that we need to be. But when we go astray, and aren't we capable of going astray? But when we go astray, when we go astray, he restoreth my soul. Oh, come on, I can't help but think that maybe David's thinking about a specific time in his life. Uh, you remember Psalm 50, number 51, and after that, and with Bathsheba and the, the murder of Uriah there, and here comes Nathan the prophet and points his bony finger into David's face. He says, you're the man. And David writes that psalm, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Right, he says, yeah. And my friend, I'd just like to remind you that when we've gone astray, when we've gone astray, he restores. He restores. Leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. A way not easily diverted from. Certainly there's an idea of morality there. The paths of righteousness, the way that is straight, the way that we're supposed to go. And he leads that way. And when we go away from that way, he leads us back. We're going to get to the end of this chapter. He's going to talk about surely goodness and mercy shall follow 
me all the days of my life. And the truth is, is very often as we go away and we like a sheep away from the fold, like a lamb who is not following the shepherd who has only the best intentions. Sometimes we go astray. My friend, I'd just like to remind you that the path that he leads us to, and we can follow that. He restores. He restores. But verse four takes a small turn in this poem, in this song. Because yes, Yahweh provides rest and provision and all that you need. Yahweh guides, brings us to a place of rest and peace. Yahweh restores when we've gone astray. But my friend, Yahweh protects. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Oh, do you hear? Do you see the picture? Here's the shepherd leading his sheep along, and in front of them, leading them to where they need to go. But on this side there is a cliff, and on this side there is a cliff. And as they get into this ravine between these two, the shadows are almost overlapping. Shadow, the valley of the shadow of death. And right through the valley they go. Darkness, uh, the darkness is there certainly. Danger possibly lurks. It would be a perfect place. Maybe David's remembering a path that he would have had to trod to take his sheep from one place to the next. And David says, oh, no, there were probably times where there was danger in those ravines. There were times where there would have been the wild animals that would have been laying in wait to grab some helpless sheep on their way. Hold on. But yea, though I pass through, walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. No, the, the only thing that we should have when we see the valley of the shadow of death and the darkness that is there, the, the path that leads through dim and, through dim and dark and dangerous uh, roads ahead, no, the, the proper response would be fear if there wasn't a shepherd to go before us. If there wasn't a shepherd who had a rod and a staff to comfort us. Now, isn't that just interesting? Hold on. Because rods and staves aren't typically for comfort. <laughs> You know what a rod is for? It was like a club. <laughs> Not to bring comfort, but in fact to bring pain. <laughs> yeah. The staff, maybe you could make a, a case that it was for comfort. It would have been used to help a shepherd walk along. It would have been a little bit longer. Maybe with the crook on the end, the typical shepherd staff that maybe you're thinking about in your mind there. But that would have been maybe used for a walking stick or a thing to lean on as, there were, as we, the shepherd was watching the sheep. But also it would have been used to help correct and push a sheep away from an edge or to prod a sheep along as they were going, right? It would have been a tool used to guide and here's the psalmist. The, the tool that was used for pain for the predator means comfort for the sheep. The club isn't, the club isn't for a sheep. Now, I, I know you can use it on a sheep. <laughs> sheep can sometimes need a little tap along. Right? But that's not what the purpose of the club was for. The club was for the lion. The club was for the bear. The club was for the predator. The club was for the danger that lurked in the dark path ahead. My friend, what we find then is that we find a God who is our shepherd, who is able to protect from every difficulty and danger we find ourselves in. The enemy that you face, hold on. You have a shepherd that can deal with that. 
The struggle you're having at work? No, you have a shepherd that can deal with that. The, the, the constant friction that is happening because you're standing for right and you're doing what is, what is appropriate and what is right and there are those around you that would want nothing more than for compromise or would want nothing more than to pervert the truth. Let me just tell you, my friend, let me just remind you that you have a shepherd who goes before and he's perfectly capable of fighting the battles that you have no ability to fight. Take a breath, Thomas. He is perfectly capable of fighting the battles that you have no ability to fight. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear any of that. I will fear no evil because thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Look what it says in this next verse. If rods and staffs, weapons and tools provide comfort, this Verses maybe even a little bit more strange for me. Thou preparest a table before me. Okay. Prepares a table. As carries the idea of a feast. We're laying out a spread. It's going to be a time to eat. Thou preparest a table before me. In the presence of mine enemies. I wonder if David is looking around and just thinking about some times in his life where the enemies were all around. And yet, it was like there was peace in the middle of that. I wonder if he's just thinking about a time when he had to face a giant with just a sling and some stones. I'm wondering if he's thinking about that and thinking about the army that was over there on that side and how he came to that place and didn't, didn't find himself in a position where he was worried about what was going to happen. <laughs> in fact, do you remember what he said? He, he did. Uh, hold on. I am not coming to you worried about what's happening. The one who I serve will deliver you to my hand. <laughs> right? Yeah, there's no, there's no worry there. In fact, this, the same word, I told you that there's a, there's a bunch of little connections back to the book of Exodus and the journey of the people of Israel from the Egypt into the promised land. This idea of the table being spread, it's used um, in Psalm 50, uh, 77. Psalm 77? I'll find it real quick. Uh, I didn't write it down. Awesome. It's used in Psalm, I believe it's 77, where the psalmist says this, that God prepared a table in the midst of the wilderness. God prepared a table for them in the midst of the wilderness. Right? And the idea is this, in the middle of the danger, in the, middle, in the midst of the wilderness, where there is no food, God sent food. Where there is no provision, God cared for his people. Where there was nothing that they could have, there was no ability for them to get meat, there was no ability for them to get bread, God provided manna. And then when they got tired of manna and whined and complained about that, God sent quail, furnished a table for them in the midst of the wilderness. Furnished a table for them. And here is David Maybe looking back at his life, maybe looking at some times in history in the people, when the people of God were in the middle of situations that there should have been anxiety. 
There should have been distress. There should have been some, some fear because of the enemies that were around. There was the difficulties they were facing. But instead of facing the difficulties with fear, and instead of facing the difficulties with anguish, and instead of facing the difficulties that they had in front of them with anxiety, what they found was the ability to have peace. Sit and eat. A table spread in the midst of my enemies. It's incredible. It's incredible. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Hold on. Thou anointest my head with oil. An anointing of oil happened when a king... When a king was anointed, right? David would have remembered that maybe from his, from when he was out there minding those sheep and being called in and then kneeling there before Samuel as Samuel poured the anointing oil over David's head. It would have been that. But also, more commonly, an anointing of oil happened when things were going good. When there was joy in the house. When things were, when a pleasant surprise came, we would say, ah, let's break the oil out and get some anointing going on here. Seems like a really weird practice to us, maybe. It's not really the way that I would celebrate, right? We'd go like, hey, let's get some cake or something like that. I don't know. But that was not, we live in a totally different age and time, okay? <laughs> so understand that this was just the way it was. That one of the ways to celebrate joy, to, to punctuate a moment with this is a blessing from God, is to pour oil over someone's head, to anoint them didn't only happen to kings. It happened to all kinds of people. David says this, thou anointest my head with oil. Hold on. Don't forget. Don't forget the previous, the previous part of this verse. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. In the presence of mine enemies, thou anointest my head with oil. It's almost as if David is saying this, that even when the dangers are around, even when there's difficulty and trials I'm facing, even when there's no hope, like earthly speaking, humanly speaking, it looks like there's no way out. Just want you to know that because you are my shepherd, there is joy, there's pleasure, there's peace. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy. Can I just remind you tonight that Yahweh provides and Yahweh guides. Yahweh restores and Yahweh protects. But he also pursues. He follows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. The word there, surely, doesn't, not someone's name, obviously. Right? Surely carries the idea of exclusively. Only goodness and mercy will follow. Only goodness and mercy will follow. What else could follow? Well, some could look at the enemies that surround and say, and these guys seem to dog me every step of the way. Here's the enemies around us. Here's the enemies beside us. And couldn't David look at his life maybe from a humanly humanistic standpoint and just say, man, it seems like every time I turn around, a Philistine is there again. 
Every time I turn around, it seems like Saul is there to like to poke something or to throw some spear or something like that. Saul is always around, it seems like. But David notices this. Hold on. Saul doesn't follow him forever. No, Philistines aren't always around. But what is always there is goodness and mercy. It's a different outlook on life than sometimes we have. Surely, exclusively, only goodness and mercy shall follow me. Not just to follow behind, but it means to pursue after. Not just to like, not, not like playing follow the leader, but we used to do these things when I was playing soccer. That was a long time ago, hallelujah. When I was playing soccer in high school and we would get in a line of four or five guys and we'd all start running, right? And we'd run in the line and then the person in the back had to sprint to the front, right? <laughs> it was terrible. They were, it was awful. Because <laughs> you'd be doing that and my coaches, I think, just liked to torture people for fun. And so they would do these things and they would do them for like 45 minutes, an hour around the field. And I would just around the soccer field, around the soccer, so boring. 45 minutes to an hour of just jogging and then a sprint and then jogging again and then a sprint and then jogging again and then a sprint. You're bored already, okay? And we've been doing this for like three seconds. Just imagine doing it for as long as I did. But that's a little bit more the idea we're not just following, they're not playing follow the leader. We're saying somebody's over here trying to pursue, trying to take over. The quicker you could make that a sprint, the sooner you were done. <laughs> Here's the idea. Surely goodness and mercy is going to follow after. And they're going to come, it's coming after to overtake. Everywhere we go, everywhere we turn, the shepherd pursues. And this is helpful for us. Because again, we aren't always great at following the one who leads. No, we're not always great at following the shepherd who guides. We're not always amazing at staying where we're supposed to be on paths of righteousness. But even when we stray, he pursues. Even when we go a different direction, goodness and mercy follow. Even when we're over here going our own way and going, say, hey, I can handle this myself. And can you just imagine a sheep saying something silly like that? Hey, I think it's better going this way to the shepherd who knows the way. And the shepherd might say, we've been this way 400 times before. Would you just follow me this time? Nope, I'm still going this other way, says the sheep named Thomas. Right? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And what follows? A wayward sheep goodness and mercy, love and compassion, <laughs> love and compassion. It's just like our shepherd. When we go astray, he comes around behind with goodness and love, prodding us into the path of righteousness again. The book of Jeremiah makes a, uh, it makes a intriguing point here that he talks about when the people of Israel will come back from the exile and they'll be from Babylon on their way back, that they will be led by God, but they'll hear a voice behind them saying, this is the way, this is the way. <laughs> they're going to be led, but they're also going to be followed. God is both the leader and the vanguard. It's a cool picture because he's a good shepherd. He's a shepherd that cares. 
shepherd that protects, a shepherd that provides and guides, and often the shepherd that pursues, pursues when we go astray. My friend, I'd like to remind you that you can follow a God like this. Now, you can trust a shepherd like this. A shepherd who led his people out of slavery in Egypt to a land of promise. You can, you can trust a shepherd who's kept that promise. You can trust a shepherd that provides for his people again and again and again in the wilderness, that sets a table for them when there is no table to be set. God protects and provides, and God guides every single step of their way. My friend, bringing them to places of peace and bringing them to places of rest, you can trust a God like that. And when the enemy surrounds, he provides and protects. You can trust a God like that. You can trust God who takes a shepherd boy and gives him the ability to stand before a giant, protects him in that moment. You can trust a God. You, you can trust a God who can take a king who has been anointed king but is not yet king <laughs> and guides him through the sticky situation of court life <laughs> with a other king who wants to murder and destroy him. You can trust a God who guides like that. You can trust a God who restores like he restored David after Bathsheba. You can trust a God like that. And while those examples and thoughts are good for us to think about, it's probably better for us to remember times that he's done those very things in our lives. Because the truth is, is he's not just the God of David. He's not just the God of Israel. He's not just the God of Harvest Baptist Church. He's yours, your shepherd. And my friend, I'd like to remind you that when you are in need, you can trust the shepherd to provide. And when you're in the darkest valley, you can trust the shepherd to guide and to protect. When you're feeling the stresses and pressures of life, trust the shepherd to bring you to still water. Have you gone astray? Gone your own way? Departed from paths of righteousness? <laughs> trust the shepherd that not only restores, but also pursues. With a shepherd like this, you can find peace in the face of difficulty. With a shepherd like this, you can find joy in the midst of heartache. One commentator said this, look away from yourself and trust him with all, in all, and for all. Look away from yourself and trust him with all, in all, and for all. My friend, the challenge tonight and a simple reminder is with a shepherd like this, you can trust him. What are you going through? What are you facing? What's the heartache, the pain, the difficulty that you are up against today? friend would like to remind you 
that you can trust a shepherd who provides, who guides, who restores, who protects, and who pursues. And he's not just the shepherd of this place. He's yours. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He, re- sorry, he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Will you find yourself there? With his protection, with his provision, in his presence. Follow him, my friend. Father, we sure do love you. Lord, would you help us to trust you? Help us to trust you like David trusted you. Help us to follow you like David follows you. Help us to learn from it. As we consider and meditate on the idea of you being a shepherd, we're grateful that you provide and protect, that you guide, and that you pursue. Lord, thank you. Pray you would help us then to trust you, to not go our own way or not to be distracted by something on the other side. Father, help us to follow you and to trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name, we pray.